Good morning. I ask you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. It's our last Sunday in our series on the armor of God. I just want to take note that I finally got the timing right for that video on when to come up. I don't know if y'all noticed, but that was perfect timing. And this is our last Sunday. So, takes me some time. Thankful for the opportunity. Thankful for the worship this morning already. Thankful for the announcement about LA. We have been asked, we have been pursued even to join in this partnership, and I am thankful for that. Every opportunity we have by God's grace to reach out with the resources and blessing that God has given us to reach people who need the gospel. And as you'll find out next week, LA County, uh, Greater LA, where we'll be working with uh, Will, is 18 million people. And even in a section he's asking us to help with, uh, reach in that area, there's more people in this small section in LA County than there are in South Carolina. And less than 2% of them are evangelical believers. And so we want to be sure that we are ready for the task to reach them with the gospel and do all we can to steward what God has blessed us with for the sake of the nations and the people, of course. So I'm excited about next week. Please, 10 a.m., be here. Some of you, I told the first service, they can just come at their normal time. That way they're already here. You guys are going to have to pick it up a little bit, okay? You're going to have to make sure 10 a.m. that you, uh, you have it down pat. We're closing out this series in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And as we do that, I want us to read this morning, starting in verse 16. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Now, we've already covered some of this ground, especially with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. But I want to read all of this to get the full sense of Paul's uh, point, his full sense of his uh, message here. And then we're going to focus in this morning on this last piece, and that is prayer. That is prayer. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul writes, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, as I ought to speak. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we've already been able to sing this morning, that you have changed our hearts and our lives, that you have turned us around and made us new creations through the power of your spirit, through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. God, what a better picture to see that than, than, than baptism this morning that we're able to witness and rejoice in already. God, so we thank you. Help us not take these moments for granted. Help us not take this time for granted. Help us to look to your word. Set aside now, Father, through, the, through your spirit at work in every heart, in every life, in every mind. Set aside now whatever thoughts may creep in, whatever distractions may come up. God, may you set those things aside and may we focus in on our relationship with you, with you this morning, who we are and who, what you have done for us and what we need so desperately, God. And we focus in on these things. All by your grace, all for your glory we come. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. As we've been looking at this passage, kind of ending Ephesians chapter 6, the last little piece of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, this whole armor of God, we recognize that Paul is telling us that there is a battle that all of us will have to fight. That battle comes to each and every one of us, and that battle is relentless. It comes over and over again, and it will be one we face to the day that the Lord calls us home. So in the midst of that battle, in the midst of that battle, we recognize that God has given us and equipped us with absolutely everything we need to face the battle. And so he says to them in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we have a battle that we face and the schemes of the devil come at those who believe relentlessly, always, every day. And so how do we face these things and how do we uh, approach every day when we know that battle is there and it is raging and the devil seeking whom he may devour? And that's what Paul's design is in this passage. He wants to show us. He wants to show us and demonstrate us how we are to face these things. Now, I would like for you to see or be reminded of the foundational passage in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I believe Paul lays the groundwork in chapter 1. So if you look back with me in chapter 1, I just want to remind you of what Paul says in chapter 1. The groundwork for our battle every day is, is, is explained here when Paul says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ." When he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, Paul says this battle that we face every day has already been won for us in Christ. He has already conquered, he already rules, he already sits on the throne, and all dominion and authority is given to him. And there's no name that can be named that is greater than the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we rest in this battle, we approach this battle, we come to this battle having known that the victory has already been won for us in Christ and he already reigns. And there's no greater confidence for the believer as we face our everyday battle against the schemes of the devil than to know our Savior reigns. Our Savior reigns. And so Paul says, in light of that, in light of what God has already done through Jesus Christ, be strong in the Lord, he says. Be strong in the Lord. Now, I also want to note in chapter 1, verse 17, when Paul's praying, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation knowledge of him. So Paul is praying here, and as he prays, you see at work what we know as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
And this Trinity is at work in our life. Like all of Scripture, we see the Trinity at work. It is God who ordains it, Jesus who carries it out, and the Spirit who fills and applies this work. That salvation has come, that victory that is here. So when we consider the work or our work in the battle against the schemes of the devil, let's be reminded of this as well, that we have the full support of the Trinity behind us. In fact, he says at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord. Our strength comes from God Almighty himself. And in this, then, take up or put on the armor that God has provided for us. And remember, as we went through this armor, we saw that every piece of this armor has been forged by his son, Jesus Christ, who wore it first, as Isaiah told us the Messiah would. So Jesus has forged this armor through his life and through his death on our behalf for us. God the Father, be strong in his strength. Jesus, who's forged this armor on our behalf for us through his life and death, now has given that to us. And now as we come to our passage this morning, we're to pray. And we're to pray in the power of the Spirit. So you see, even in our passage, the Lord God who is, gives us strength, Jesus who has forged our armor and provided all that we need in the battle, and the Spirit who encourages us, empowers us for every day. Think, if you will, of flashlights with no batteries. They're useless. We've got probably 25 at our home. Think, if you will, of cars with no gas when you need a long journey. It can't help you at all. So it is then that these things, this armor that we have been provided, Paul says, all of these things we've been given, they cannot do what they're supposed to do unless we have the fuel and the power behind them that God has granted through his spirit. So we pray. What empowers, what strengthens is the prayers of the saints through the power of the Spirit. That's the way it is for the Christian soldier in the battle against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Paul says we must pray. We've spent six or seven weeks discussing in great length the armor discussing the, those that are functional for us, like the, the belt of truth and the gospel shoes that we wear, discussing those that protect us, like the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of, of, of uh, faith and the helmet of salvation. We've discussed the weapons, if you will, that we use, like the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've discussed at great length what we have to fight against the schemes of the devil. But hear me when I say this. There can be no powerful reality in your life. There can be no powerful reality of the work of God in your life unless you are in intimate contact with him daily through prayer. There can be no powerful reality of his work. Even if you have all of the armor there, there is no powerful reality of his work and his strength in your life unless you are daily connected through him in prayer. Prayer is the means by which all of the Christian weaponry, all of the armor becomes effective in our life. It's the power, it's the fuel, it's the batteries, if you will. Without that, it is useless. Prayer is the means by which all of it becomes effective and under the control of our Lord to be used for his glory and his name. So as we look to this passage, I want us to consider the importance of prayer. And probably if we were to ask or take a poll, if you can, in this room, we would all recognize that in many ways we're not happy with our prayer life. And I would say to you, if there's 
some stagnant part of your walk with the Lord, if there's something there that you feel like is missing, if there's something there that just isn't quite enough, or, or you're struggling even with the schemes of the devil, and you keep falling to his temptation, and you keep succumbing to whatever it is he places before you, my first question to you this morning will be this. Are you praying? Are you praying? So let's look at this passage, and let's consider what it means. First, to pray in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit. Paul says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. First, to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? To pray in the Spirit means, first and foremost, that you have a relationship with God the Father through His Son. There's no way to pray in the Spirit unless you have a relationship with the Father. They're not, according to God's word, different types of Christians that are on different levels, if you will. While all of us may be at some point and place of maturity in our Christian walk, every single one of us, the scripture says, has the spirit of God dwelling within us. Every single child of God who's confessed their sins, repented of them, and trusted in faith has been sealed and filled with the spirit. As Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, Ephesians 1, 13, in whom also, that's Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when you heard the word proclaimed, you believed in the Lord God Almighty, trusted him, then the Bible says the Spirit has come in and sealed you and dwells within you. And so you have what you need for this battle if you've trusted in Christ. And that brings you into a relationship with God. If you are a child of God, then you have received the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God dwells within you. So when you are told to pray by Jesus, for example, in the Gospels, when Jesus says, here's how you ought to pray, listen to how Jesus begins, and understand the power of these two words. Understand the incredible nature when Jesus says, when you pray, you ought to pray like this, our Father. Do y'all hear what he says? That's revolutionary. Because in some ways, people, we all kind of think of the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God and all this other stuff. But the Bible speaks very clearly that if you are in your sin and rebelled against his word, John 8, says you are of your father, the devil. The only way to, to, to be brought into the Lord God's family, as Ephesians 1 says, is that you be adopted in through the work of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross, your sins forgiven, your repentance of those sins, and your faith in Jesus. And when you put faith in Jesus, then he adopts you into his family, and now you get to cry out, Father in heaven. What Paul is saying here, when you're told to pray, Our Father, this is not a cry to some unknown God. This is not a cry to some force that is out there that you're trying to figure out. This is not a cry to some familial kind of God that you've only been passed down from, from generation to generation and it's just what your grandmother did or your mother. It's not some cry to someone you don't know. This is a cry to a personal relationship, God, who is your father. This is a cry to him. And so when we pray, the spirit testifies that you're a part of God's family as a part of God's family, then you can enter into God's presence. And you have the right to enter in, as the scripture says, boldly. Think about this. When we see in the Old Testament, when people entered into the presence of God without permission, y'all know what happens to them, right? 
instant death over and over. We see this when they enter in or they touch something like Uzzah touching the ark with his bare hands. He had the idea that his hands were cleaner than the mud the ark might fall on. And when he touched it instantly, he died. Why? Because you don't get to come into God's presence unless God gives you permission and makes you appropriate. And so ultimately what God has said through the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins have been washed. You've been made appropriate before him and now you can enter into his presence and you don't have to just come in shy or weak. You can come in boldly like the kids coming into their father. You can burst into the room and cry out to God, scripture says. You can burst into his presence and cry out to him. Why? Because he's made you appropriate through the blood of his son. Why? Because he's told you all you've got to do is call. All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask. Here, not only that, the relationship that we have to God through Christ and because of the spirit dwelling within us, we need to know that God has not only said come boldly, but he has obligated himself to hear. Understand what I mean. The creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds all things in his hands, not anything how He tells the son, go read at some point, because it's one of my favorite passages, Job 38, whenever Job questions God over and over again, and finally, God looks at Job and said, all right, you better get yourself dressed, because I'm about to come at you. You know what I'm saying? Do you know where I keep the snow, Job? Do you know that I'm the one that tells the sun to get up and to go down? Do you know I'm the one who starts the lightning in the sky and tells it exactly where to stop? Do you know that's me, Job? So it is with God, the creator of the heavens and earth, the one who holds the snow in his hand, the one who has every star by name, the one who knows how many pieces of sand are at the sea. That God has said, if you call on me in the name of my son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the spirit, I will hear you. People, that is untapped power for most of us. Not only will I hear you, if you ask, I'll give it to you. If you seek, you're going to find it. If you knock, I'm going to open the door. And not only is that good news for us and really unbelievable for us to imagine, God is going to do it in us even when we don't understand when we need it or how we need it. So often we ask for things and we say, God just hadn't answered my prayer. That's because it's not good for you to God to answer your prayer right now. God answers your prayers exactly when you need it at exactly the right time in exactly the right moment and exactly the right place. We may not know that. We may not understand that. But God is always on time. And God is always does what is right for his children. The scriptures tell us that we hold on to those promises. If we ask, we receive. If we seek, we find. If we knock, it's open. God delights to hear the prayers of his people. In fact, he tells us whenever Jesus gives the parable of the persistent widow, one of my favorite parables, who's got a mean old landlord and she needs something from him. And so the persistent widow, I know a couple of them, some of y'all might be here. She comes and she keeps knocking on the door over and over again. Boom, boom, boom. The landlord's in there with his fingers in his ears. He doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want to give. He's mean. He doesn't want to do anything for her. And she keeps on knocking and she keeps on knocking and she keeps on knocking, right? Until finally the landlord opens the door and chunks whatever it is he wants for out the door and says, here, take it and get away. Jesus says, that's how I want you to come to me. And how much more so if a mean landlord has to finally give in, how much more so will your good heavenly father hear your prayers? Don't stop. 
Our God has not only obligated himself to us through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. He says if we ask, we will receive. He's also told us don't ever stop asking. Don't ever stop. He welcomes us every time. We never bother him. We never wear him out. He's never taxed by our presence. He desires it. And when we pray in the Spirit, we pray with a sense of knowing that God has called us, saved us, redeemed us, and he wants to hear from us. But also when we pray in the Spirit, we pray, I believe, not just simple words or heaping phrases together as the Pharisees do, but I think it's best for us to understand that we pray back God's Word to him. There's no doubt here. He says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, so pray at all times in the Spirit. The Spirit who has inspired God's Word and says when you pray, bring God's Word back to me. Let me just kind of demonstrate how that is. I can just flip anywhere in this Bible and I can look. I can look back here in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says when he prays for the people in Ephesus, he prays that they would know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of your inheritance waiting on you, and the power of God that he has for you. If you want to know how to pray for me, pray that every single day, if you will. Pray that Josh knows the hope to which God has called him to. Pray that Josh knows the riches of the inheritance that is waiting on him and doesn't trust in any of this stuff down here. That his treasure is there, not down here. Pray that Josh knows the power of God through the resurrection of Christ. Pray that he knows that in such a way that he believes and trusts that that power is his. You see how we pray God's word back to him? Oftentimes we stumble for words. Oftentimes we kind of heap phrases together and we can throw the cliches one right after another, right after another. I used to have a couple offertory prayers memorized when I was a kid, you know? They weren't written down. I just knew what that dude was going to say every time he got up. Because it was the same thing, one cliche after another. And so for us to avoid such of that and lose the power of prayer, we open up God's word and we pray God's word back to him. That's what it means to be praying in the spirit. But the Spirit has already given us his word. And so now we pray God's word back to him. Praying in the Spirit is not a mystical experience. Praying in the Spirit is not a mystical experience that you're looking for. It is praying in such a way that you're prompted, that you're, that you're uh, prompted by the Spirit, that you're grounded in the word of God. Praying in the Spirit means you're prompted by the Spirit and grounded in the word of God. God's will for your life is his word, is his word. What does he mean then by all prayer and supplication? He says there that you are to pray in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I believe the meaning here is simple, that Paul's point is that we're to pray with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers. Sometimes we pray happy prayers, sometimes we pray sad prayers, right? Sometimes we pray when, when we feel like things are going well. Sometimes we pray when things are difficult. In fact, more often than not, we pray when things are difficult. But the Lord says through Paul here, you pray all kinds of prayers. You pray every occasion. You pray every situation. You pray every trouble. You pray every praise. The Lord wants to hear from you. Pray at all times, in all ways, in all ways. We try to put prayer in a box like it's got some sort of design for us. We try to think about it that way, and most assuredly, we're to go in the prayer closet. Jesus tells us that. Get alone, get quiet, and pray. Hopefully, you're doing that daily. 
But that doesn't mean when you step out the prayer closet that the conversation's over, Paul says. That as you walk every day in every situation, pray. Pray at all times. Pray in all circumstances. Paul says we pray in all ways. And not only that, we make all kind of supplication. This word supplication, y'all probably don't use that every day, but that's okay. Expand your vocabulary. People think you're smart. Supplication means by asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Begging. I like that word. Because I want to go ahead and tell you I'm not ashamed when I go to the Lord in prayer, I beg. Why? Because the demonstration of prayer, the very act of prayer itself, is an admittance of absolute dependence. It's an admittance that I don't know. I'm not the one. I can't, I'm not in control. I can't do this on my own. I have no power in and of myself. I can't handle this situation. I know that you're in control. I know that you have the power. I know that you're the one that can do it. Every time we pray, we're admitting that we are in desperate need of God who's looking over us and watching over us. We need his help. We need his strength. We need his support. We need everything from him. For from his hand, everything has been provided. So we call on him in prayer and say, God, we need it. And we beg for it. And the Lord who is gracious, hears our cries and gives to his children. The act of prayer is an act of dependence. And admit it that we are desperate for him. So we beg with all prayer and supplication in all kind of ways, every day, in so many different situations, so many different occasions we pray. We pray. Paul says you pray in the spirit and you pray with perseverance as well. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, he says. This idea of prayer, as I said, is that we pray at all times. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, we pray without ceasing. Prayer is a conversation between the father and his child. And so in that conversation, we continue to pray. We always lift up our needs. We always lift up every situation. We always ask the Lord to give us the words to say, sometimes more than others. But we always ask the Lord to give us what we need today at this moment in this place. But isn't it interesting as we think about, we ask the Lord to give us what we need, isn't it interesting when Paul brings up this idea of perseverance, he says that we must make supplication for all the saints. Paul points to others that we must pray for. Paul models this in every one of his epistles, in all of his letters. He says, I never stop praying for you. He says that to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Galatians. I never stop praying for you. I don't cease praying for you. Paul understood that when we pray, we don't just pray for ourselves. That's our first inclination. That's our first thought. That's our first hour. We may even pray for our family and our loved ones. We may pray for our life groups and all these others, and those are all good. Paul says we pray for all the saints. As you have been prompted by the Spirit, you pray. When you think of our brothers and sisters in Los Angeles, pray for them. You ain't got to wait till the morning and write it down in your journal to do it. Just simply pray to the Lord. Lord, be with them. Help them today. Strengthen them, whatever it may need. Just pray for them. Paul says in doing that, that's what helps you persevere. The reason why people don't persevere is because they think they're in this by themselves. The reason why people don't persevere is because they think that they're all alone in a battle and sooner or later I just got to give up. I can't do it by myself anymore. And the reason why Paul says you constantly pray for others is because we need to constantly be reminded that we are in a battle against the schemes of the devil and we are not alone. Look around you. All of us are in this together. 
And so we pray for one another and we lift up one another and we speak on behalf of one another and that encourages even your own heart. And I don't even have to pray for myself if I know you're praying for me. Y'all understand what I'm saying? We strengthen one another, encourage one another in faithfulness as fellow soldiers in the work. I have not ceased to pray for you, Paul told the Ephesians. The pray in the Spirit is not always to pray for yourself. Pray in the Spirit means you lift up others at all times. We saw in verse 10, be strong. We saw in verse 11, put on. We see here in verse 18, keep alert. The idea is for the one who is praying to stay alert. It's difficult sometimes, I know, to stay on guard as a watchman. But we must persevere in this work. Because the devil is seeking whom he may devour and he's prowling around in the darkness. Stay alert. We stay alert by prayer. We stay alert by prayer. Now look at what Paul prays for. Paul says, pray for all the saints and also for me. I love that. Paul knows he's desperate for the prayers of his brothers and sisters. Pray also for me, Paul says. But what does Paul ask for? I find this fascinating. What does Paul ask them to pray for himself? He says, keep alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I love that. Because you notice what Paul doesn't pray for. Paul is in prison. He's in chains, he says. You see it down here, I'm ambassador in chains. He's told us there from the start, that's where he is. Paul doesn't pray, please pray that the judge will let me free. He doesn't pray, please pray that he'll let me go. He doesn't pray, this has been trumped up, this is wrong, I shouldn't even be here, get me out of here, and this food's terrible. He doesn't even pray that. Paul says, I'm here. Pray that I have more boldness. Give me more boldness to speak the gospel. Paul's first concern was not to get out of his circumstances. And I don't care what your circumstances are. Our first concern should never to get out of be, get out of those circumstances. Our first concern should be that we be boldly proclaiming the gospel in whatever place and position, whatever situation, whatever circumstances God gives us. Paul says, don't let me stop proclaiming the gospel. Pray for that. Give me more boldness in the face of my enemies. Give me more boldness in the face of those who don't love me or like me. Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And what we know about ambassadors is they're not living in the country they belong to. And as Paul says in Philippians, my citizenship is in heaven, right? So as I'm here on earth, I'm just a stranger and a pilgrim wandering around. And I am an ambassador of a greater country and a greater place. And what my job is here is not to come and fuss and complain about this place. My job is to come and tell you how glorious the next place is. That's who I am and that's who I belong to. I'm an ambassador here. So I come to speak as a diplomat, if you will, of heaven, to proclaim the good news of heaven for the glory of God, he says. Pray for that. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes when we pray, we pray about our circumstances. Let's just be honest. Pray about our physical condition. You take prayer requests and you get everything from big toes to headaches and everything, and all those are important. You bring every thought to the Lord. You cast everything upon him, absolutely. But in reality, what our first prayer should be is that whatever situation we're in and whatever we do, that we will be ambassadors for our Savior. 
and we will be bold for the gospel. I remember in Acts chapter 4, Jesus had not long been before uh, crucified, put to death, raised again. The church had begun, and John and Peter had healed somebody on the way to the synagogue, and they got in trouble for it, and they told them not to talk again. And remember what Peter said? Peter said, you can tell me not to talk. I'm going to keep talking. That Jesus whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead, and now there's salvation in no other name under heaven but Jesus himself, right? And so Paul, Peter just kind of lays it out there, and they're like, all right, you better go, but if you say that again, I'm going to get you. So they head back to the other believers, and they join together, and they get up there together, and they tell them everything that's happened. They tell them what went on, what took place, and the threats that were given to them. And what do they pray in Acts chapter 4? They gather there having heard that report and they pray there in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't pray for the threats to be over. They don't pray for the persecution to end. They don't pray that it would get easier for them. They just know that they put Jesus to death, they're going to come after them. And if that's how they treated Jesus, that's how they're going to treat us. And Satan is relentless in ending that message of Christ. But we as believers must be relentless in proclaiming the gospel into darkness. So give us more boldness, God. Give us more boldness. I truly believe that if every single one of you in this room today would pray not only for yourself, but for others, that the Lord would give us as a people more boldness. There is no telling what God can do with his people. Consider that first. Consider that first. One of the more famous books on spiritual warfare written other than the scriptures is the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Now, it's an odd book. It's an odd concept, I must admit, but one that has been incredibly helpful in my life. Screwtape was a retired demon. Retired demon, and he has, was the mentor to his nephew, Wormwood. And so Screwtape would write letters. Wormwood was responsible for one guy, and he was to keep that guy out of heaven, right? That was his one job. The demon was responsible for that one man. They called him his client. And that demon was responsible for that one guy, and you keep him out of heaven. Well, Wormwood wasn't doing his job real well, and that one guy he's supposed to keep out of heaven accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So screw tape laid into him. You messed up, buddy. You have messed up. You've lost your client. This is bad, but it's not over. It's not over. Screw tape says to Wormwood, now your main job is to keep him from praying. Now your main job is to keep him from praying. Wormwood's client, having become a Christian, his work had been harder. And in one letter, Screwtape says, here's what you got to do. You're going to keep him from praying. Here's what you got to do. You got to keep his heart and his mind out of it. How true is that? We go to the Lord in prayer and we just spit off some words sometimes. Brothers and sisters, open up your heart to God. He knows it already. Pour it out to him. He says if you're going to keep him from praying, you've got to keep his heart and mind out of it. You've got to make prayer a duty, not a privilege. Flip your mindset on prayer. 
This is not something you check off the box as some part of the list that you do. This is a privilege that you get to go to the heavenly father who has called you his own and saved you and redeemed you by his son who has loved you fiercely even when you were unlovable and went after you and purchased you and redeemed you by his blood. And now he says, all you got to do is come to me. It's not a duty. That's a privilege. He says, if you're going to keep them from praying, you got to lower their expectations. Make them think prayer won't matter. But remember the words of Christ. If you ask, you will receive. And why do you not have? Because you haven't asked. Remember, in Acts chapter 4, after they prayed for more boldness, y'all know what happened after they said amen? The room shook. And my prayer is that for you in your life and in your heart, the room would shake again as you know the power of God in prayer. Screw tape likes to Wormwood. He says, every, make, every move you make now is fraught with peril for your cause. There's no, there is nowhere truer than in the practice of prayer where the enemy, enemy inexplicably and unfairly offers to meet his children. The devil looks at, prayer, looks at prayer as unfair. This isn't fair. I'm fighting a losing battle here, and you get to talk to God himself? This isn't fair. And whenever we give ourselves to prayer, the danger to the devil multiplies greatly because he has no power over it. He has no strength over it, and he can do nothing with it. And so why in the world would us as his children neglect that power? Why would we neglect? Let's pray together now. Father, help us to not see prayer as a duty but a privilege. Help us to not just know Jesus as our Savior but as our friend, as the one who we can call upon. Help us to not just understand that the, the Spirit is not some force out there that we're trying to tap into. It is you living and dwelling within us. And so, Father, may your Spirit testify even now. May your Spirit testify even now and urge us and point us towards prayer. God, may we pray, just as Paul did, that you would give us more boldness. Give our friends in LA more boldness. Give our friends in Boston more boldness. Give our friends around the world more boldness in spite of whatever may come their way, whatever difficult circumstances they may face. Father, give them more boldness to proclaim your gospel. We pray, we pray. Father, we thank you that not only have you saved us, you have drawn us to yourself. Not only have you given us eternal life, you've given us a home with you in heaven. Father, not only have you called us out of darkness, you've told us that when we call upon you, we can call you Father. Help us not neglect that gift. For your name and for your glory, help us not to neglect that gift. Today, if you're here in this place, and you don't know that power of prayer. You've never tapped into it. You've never felt the urge of it. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus himself, with God the Father. You can have that today. You feel defeated. You feel over and over again. You can't win. You can't do it. You can't overcome it on your own. You should know the power of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit. You want a personal relationship with the Father today. All you do is trust in his son, Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. Turn from those sins and give your life to him. I'll be standing here at the front if you want to do that. 
But for you today, if you're a believer, please do not neglect the power of prayer. May God, through his spirit, light another flame within you to know that you're desperate for him and you cry out to him today. God, we ask all of these things by your name and for your glory. Amen. I'll be standing here at the front if you love to come to speak to me about these things. Let's stand together and sing.